Today's episode of the Vel News Podcast is brought to us by our good friends at Whoop. Uh, if you've been listening to Fast Talk with Chris Case and Coach Trevor Connor, you have heard about Whoop. But they're a first-time sponsor for the Vela News Podcast, so thank you to Whoop. Now, what is Whoop? Whoop is a performance tool that is changing the way people track their fitness and optimize their training. It is a wrist-worn heart rate monitor that monitors your heart 100 times per second, 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. It then pairs that to an app and provides analytics and insight, mostly on recovery, strain, and sleep. So you can tell when your body is recovered and when you need more rest by getting to know your nervous system through heart rate, variability, and your quality of sleep. So basically what WHOOP does is it monitors your heart rate. And after a hard workout, if your heart is still beating pretty hard, WHOOP is going to track it and let you know that, you know what, you probably need a little bit more recovery. Maybe today is not the best day to go do your super hard intervals. Um, we've heard from multiple riders racing at the elite level that they are really liking Whoop because, you know, before you're just kind of going by feel. Hey, I feel tired. Hey, I feel fatigued. But finally, you have a device that can measure that. And we have a special deal for listeners of the podcast who are interested in buying a Whoop. You can go to whoop.com. That is W-H-O-O-P.com. Use the code Velo, V-E-L-O, at checkout to save 15% to get yourself a Whoop. Again, Whoop.com, offer code Velo, get 15% off. So thank you to Whoop for sponsoring this week's episode of the podcast. Let's get on with the show. Uh, welcome back to the Velo News Podcast. Fred Dreyer here with Andrew Hood. We are recording this podcast in the tourist's second rest day and hoodie. They went and did it. They waited for you and I to miss the Tour de France, and then they just went and had a great race. Uh, This race is shaping up to be a very unpredictable, um, exciting, just kind of awesome tour, the likes of which we haven't seen the last few years, the likes of which we've been wanting to see in the last few years, and they went and did it the year that we're not there. Uh, are you are you bitter? Are you upset? Are you like, do you think that this was planned? All the riders, the Tour de France, waiting for the moment that you and I were not there to like have this just really thrilling race. How are you? How are you feeling about this amazing tour thus far? Yeah, I don't think it's the latter. I really don't think uh, Chris. Chris Froome plowed into a wall ahead of the Dauphiné just to get revenge against uh, Freddie D and Hoodie. But it's been certainly – it's been a tough one to sit on the sidelines. I mean, after all, some of those so-called snoozers we had to endure the last couple of years, even though for me, that every tour has its stories and has its drama, and there's no race relief for me that stacks up in terms of quality and depth as the Tour de France. But having said that, this year's edition is a scorcher. It's one of the best ones I can remember going back over the years. And, uh, you know, in a lot of ways, it's been kind of great just to be on the couch recuperating and having a chance to watch the race every day. Nothing wrong with that. Yeah, to me, the big difference is that in the last uh, six or seven years by this point in the Tour de France, that being the second rest day, we usually have a good idea of who is going to win. And we have a great idea of like who the strongest rider is. And I don't feel like that is the case at this point. So we're recording this second rest day. We just had those two great stages in the Pyrenees. We had stage 14 that finished up the Tourmalet. And we had uh, Sundays, just thrill, just awesome stage that finished on this terribly steep climb outside of Foix, 
Love that town of Foix that took in the Mur de Pigera, that took in some of these really steep climbs right at the foot of the Pyrenees and created just, I just was edgy, edge of my seat action. Uh, I actually had to go back and watch it twice. And, you know, the the way that it is looking right now, I mean, Thibaut Pino is climbing very well. He's definitely the best climber in the tour, but he has this deficit from getting caught out in the crosswinds, so he's not a—he's by no means a slam dunk to win. Then we have Julian Alaphilippe, who still has a pretty good advantage of the GC, but it's looking like he's beginning to take on water on some of these climbs, so the big question is, can he survive? Then we have Ineos, and Ineos is announcing today that Garrett Thomas is going to be their number one man, and Bernal is probably going to be working for him. But Garrett Thomas, he's not looking that great, as we saw on the finish to the Tourmalet, where he got gapped. So it just seems like, and Stephen Kreuzwick, steady Eddie Stephen Kreuzwick, looking good, but, I mean, he's by no means a shoe. And it just looks like we have all of these uh, contenders who are both, they have their strengths, but they're also very fallible. They have their extreme weaknesses too. And and Andy, you wrote this great column on the website today explaining the symptoms of why this tour is so pre- unpredictable. Here it is at stayed at the uh, rest day number 2. Uh, why do you think this is? Take me through it. What do you think are the reasons why we just we don't know who is going to win at this point? Yeah, I think you summed it up pretty well there, uh, Fred. We don't know who's going to win. It's uh, a lot of suspense really in this tour, and that's why it's so exciting. Um, I think there's a few reasons kind of why this tour is playing out the way that, that that it is, and a few things that stand out. Obviously, the fact that Chris Froome is not here is is changed the shape of this race. You know, his absence has made this race more wide open. And we've seen Enios come in. They haven't been as strong as they typically are. And I think by the fact of not having Froome, it's always been kind of that year-in, year-out guarantee, that sure bet that he's going to be there in all those right moments. That's changed that team. And I think that uh, we can still expect to perhaps see Enios to come to the fore in these last three hard mountain stages that are waiting in the Alps. That's been a key factor right from the beginning. And I think... Really, the way this this course is laid out, I think, is a is another key key factor because you have only one time trial, relatively short at 27 k's in the middle of the race before the mountains, and when you took out guys like Dumoulin and Froome, you didn't have a huge uh, TT specialist who could also race for GC taking out huge swaths of time. I mean, the big surprise there on Friday was seeing uh, Ala Philippe win the time trial. Um, you know, typically a guy like Froome or a, a Dumoulin would take a minute, two minutes out of the climbers, and boom, race over. Really, um, so that's another key factor. And the way that the, the race is all kind of back ended, right? We only had two real hard mountain stages so far, and they were both doozies. We got three more waiting in the final week, all very high altitude climbs. So it's all backloaded. The front half of that race was also very good, though. I think it's been uh, one of the best designed, well, most well balanced races we've seen in many, many years. You mean that front w- first week? You know, we saw so much uh, action in that first week. We got all of Philippe attacking. The team tribe trial was pretty good. Uh, the Belfield, the, the splits in the echelons. So it's been something almost every day happening. So it's been really an ideal course without a huge, massive favorite, without the time trial sucking the uh, life out of the race. And you got also much more depth in this tour. You got a lot of riders who believe they can win. So all that adding up, this big stew, it's making it really uh, one of the best tours ever. Uh, let's let's uh, take a deeper dive on one of those points. I, I think we need to have a pretty uh, good discussion at this point about Tim, Team Ineos. Okay, they don't have Chris Froome. They don't have 
the rider of record that all the other uh, riders measure themselves up against. You're right. You know, he's usually the guy who's there that in the climbs, everyone's measuring themselves about what he's doing. They're basing their entire strategy about what Chris Room is going to do. He's not there. But it really seems like Ineos, dare I say it, is not the strongest team at this year's race. Uh, one thing that really stood out to me about the final attack on the Tourmalet was how strong Lotto, uh, Jumbo Visma was. So Kreiswick is up there, but he has George Bennett. And he also has, oh, your man, the Belgian, is not on the tip of my, tip of my tongue. I wrote a story about Deplus. this. Deplus. Lawrence Deplus. Lawrence Deplus right there. Great climbers who are able to set the pace and control the pack. Um, that used to be the job of Team Ineos when we'd see Wout Poles, Garen Thomas, Mikkel Kwiatkowski, um, you know, Sergio Heynau, Mikel Nieve, insert, you know, name of Team Sky, domestic great of years gone by into that equation. I mean, how many times did we complain about it seeing like, you know, a final peloton of 10 guys and six of them were Team Sky riders? Uh, we did not see that or anything close to that. In fact, yesterday on team, uh, stage 15, uh, Kwiatkowski and Poles and Dylan Van Barl all got blown out of the group on the penultimate climb. I mean, Poles eventually caught back on and did some great domestique duty for Garen Thomas uh, up to the finish outside of Foix. But Team Ineos does not have the united power that we've seen in the past. And I, I mean, whatever, there's a million explanations for why that could be. But what what do you see when you see, see Team Ineos and the way they're riding, Hoodie? I would certainly agree Ineos is no Team Sky, different jerseys, same team, but they're certainly not at that same high level as they have been in the past in the mountains. And I would say, I would kind of go back to the fact that Froome's not there because last year Froome was there. He had won the Giro, but Froome, you know, who who were his helpers? I mean, Garrett Thomas and Egon Bernal last year were part of that Sky train last year. Now those two guys are bumped up to leadership duties. So now you have uh, Garrett Thomas who has all the pressure on him to perform and Egon Bernal, who's actually never led in a Grand Tour in his, in his young career. So you kind of whack out two of the biggest engines in that uh, Fortress Froome, putting them in leadership duties. And Kiewikowski, I think, surpassed expectations looking back at you know really his track record in the high mountains. He was there last year and even the year before that. But typically, he is a guy who would kind of get blown out in the middle of these big mountain stages. Woot Pools has been their go-to guy in these last stages. So... Enios is not as strong as they typically are, but I think it still goes back to the fact that uh, Firm is not there leading the charge over the top of these climbs, and you're having these other guys having to step up and to fill that void. Yeah, and we've seen other teams step up. I mean, you know, Thibaut Pino and his Groupama FDJ. I mean, they have David Gaudu, who has been just amazing in the high mountains. Gaudu is a guy we've had our eyes on for a long time after he won Tour L'Avenir a few years back, and this has been uh, his official big coming out party on a big stage by helping set up Pino for some of these big uphill attacks. But again, I come back to Jumbo Visma. So what's your take on Kreuzwick and Jumbo Visma as we head into the Alps? I, I think that Jumbo Visma is extremely strong in that they have Bennett and they have De Plus, But I do wonder about Kreuzwick because he has been riding as a real steady Eddie through these uh, big summit finishes, but we haven't seen him attack. Actually, we saw him attack once, and that was on Sunday's stage, and he didn't really get too far. He um, attacked out of the group that had Wout Poles, Garen Thomas, and Alaphilippe, and Thomas shut him down 
pretty quickly. So my big question is if you're Kreuzwick and you're looking at the landscape and the pathway to get into yellow, like you don't have a whole a ton of opportunities. Yes, but he's still, you know, what's the difference between those top guys? There's five guys within a minute. Um, so they're all still very close. The, but I would agree with you in terms of Kweiswick. He's not the most explosive rider, but he has one of the deepest diesel engines in the pack. And that's really what's going to count in these last three big, long mountain stages in the Alps. When you're going these big grinders, the one stage uh, over this Ward and the Galibier stage 18, the first of these three stages, that's going to be a stage that's perfect for Kweiswick and those kinds of riders that can have the legs to go the distance. And that's where these big leaders need to get rid of Philippe on that day because the profile, the last two stages, if Philippe is still kind of hanging around with a minute plus – I mean, he can crack at any time. He's already showed a few cracks in his armor uh, uh, on Sunday's stage. You know, can Philippe hang on and deliver the miracle win? That really, I think, is going to be – he's going to be seen, un, unseen pressure so far with these just seemingly long, endless climbs in the Alps. That's the big difference between the Alps and the Pyrenees. Pyrenees can be steeper sometimes, but in the Alps, you get these long 15, 20, 25, even 30K climbs. That's where the guy like Kweiswick – and his big diesel motor can just keep hitting that high tempo and pace. He's not going to win by attacking and being explosive off the front. He'll just grind everyone off his wheel. Boy, talk about Julian Alaphilippe putting on a show in these last two days in the mountains, though. Um, when I think about the antics of Thomas Volkler, uh, with you know riding with the grimace on his face and his jaw agape and really uh, hamming it up with the suffer face to energize the French fans. I, I, that was always one of my favorite things to see with Volkler. And I feel like Philippe is doing a wonderful Thomas Volkler impersonation. So yesterday, uh, Sunday, on the stage to uh, Foie Prata, outside of Foie, um, at some point, Philippe, you know, he comes unhitched. He, he follows the move by Pino, and he has the initial acceleration on this steep climb to go with Pino and Bernal and Buchmann. But eventually, he loses pace, and the camera focuses in on him. And I think he was like, he was like grunting and yelling at each other, or, or yelling at himself. And you know, big old thing of snot coming out of his face, and he's just grimacing and just wrenching himself all over the bike. And look, I I have no doubt that. Some, that a lot of that is just the way the guy rides and he's pouring his emotion and his soul into the bike to try and keep up. But I was just like, oh, if there's one way to get the entire country of France to get behind you, it's to uh, to look like that when you're suffering and getting dropped. Like you're just you're just giving every ounce. Like when I look through the uh, chat window on my uh, computer and I see you, Hoodie, and you're just giving every – you're just grimacing to stay with the podcast, giving every ounce. <laughs> You got to wonder. I think uh, Ala Philippe's kind of inexperience in that scenario really shone through in that in that, in that uh, last part of that climb on Sunday. You know, he didn't need to follow Pinot. He just needed to stay on Garen Thomas's wheel, and that you know that cost him in the end because he tried to go with Pinot. You know, that's sometimes in the heat of the moment you think that's a smart thing to do, but that's a team that you know they have never been in this situation before. You got to wonder what kind of advice he's getting from the team car. You know, probably those guys are used to, used to racing uh, the one day. It's like, be at the front, stay at the front, stay at the front. That's what he's been drilled into his head his entire life. He's never held back. He's never paced. He's never been constant in a, in a race. And that's what Garen Thomas said today in the rest of the press conference. said the key to winning the Tour de France is to be steady, 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 steady every day. It's not the most exciting way to race, but it's the only way to get through a three-week Grand Tour. 
and you saw Alaphilippe, I think, make a couple of rookie errors, cost him some time, and it might cost him the yellow jersey because if he keeps doing that, he's going to blow up. And if he blows up, he'll lose gobs of time. So Alaphilippe has been the story of this year's Tour de France thus far. A week ago, we were talking about how he was in yellow, how it was cute, how it was wonderful, great, the French were behind it, but there was no way that he was going to be a real GC contender. And of course, that whole storyline shifted after he won the time trial on stage 13. Now, look, I've heard some... Oh, some online chatter about him winning this time trial of like, whoa, I've never seen that before. Uh, it's kind of strange. But, you know, you look at that course and how hilly and punchy it was and the fact that Philippe was looking pretty fresh at that point in the tour. And I have no trouble believing that Philippe could win that time trial. I mean, he was he's obviously very strong and in really good condition this year's tour. But now the storyline, like you mentioned, is him starting to show big old cracks in the mountains. I think... Even though he was very impressive on the uh, stage to the Tourmalet, you could see it. The, the first crack was just that he didn't have any teammates there. So, you know, Ineos has a couple guys. Yumbo Visma has a couple guys. Uh, Groupama has Gaudu. You know, all these big GC teams have their domestiques still in the group. And Philippe is completely isolated. Um, he did a great job to shut down those moves. I mean, Garen Thomas himself was dropped and Philippe went. But, you know, yeah, you saw him riding at the front and putting in some efforts here and there. But the big question for me now is looking at the Alps, these long, grinding, crushing climbs. Uh, do we think Philippe is capable of holding on? He has a minute and 35 seconds in the bank right now, which... Uh, you know that's a pretty big gap up to this point in the tour, but that can go that can go away really quickly when when someone gets dropped. So, what do you think Ala Philippe is capable of here? That is the big question. He has that very comfortable head start. Um, I think if he if he changes his mindset to really just trying to hang on, he'll have a much better chance than if he keep, keeps dreaming that he's the next Bernard. You know, he's going to attack off the front and drop everybody. Because if he starts thinking that then he will blow up because once you go in the red, you can really just lose a lot of time. Even, you know, he can give, you know, basically uh, 30 seconds a day and still win the tour. So he has to go into that mentality of the key is keeping the yellow jersey without going too far over your limit. Now, I think that uh, the teams are going to pile on Philippe because they have to get rid of him. All, all those other guys behind Philippe, in order to win, they all have to get rid of Philippe. So I think we're going to see a big throwdown in stage 18 because that's a downhill finish. It goes over the Galibier. That's one of the monster epic climbs of the Tour de France. And Philippe will be by himself after this ward. You know, Enrique Moss was supposed to be the guy for the GC and supposed to be the guy to help Philippe. He's had a couple of rough days. We'll see if he can come back and at least maybe be there to carry him to the base of the Galibier. But it's going to be everybody against Philippe on the Galibier because that really is the day that they have to really whack out some time on Philippe because if, if he doesn't, those next two stages, you know, on paper, they're shorter. Uh, Philippe, if he has the legs, can hang on. And if he can just limit his loss and get dropped in that last uh, three, three Ks, you know, he could limit his losses to 30 seconds a day and possibly win this tour. But I don't think he'll, he'll make it personally, looking at what happened uh, yesterday. Uh, Hoodie, the other storyline we need to talk about that uh, materialized over the last few days in the Pyrenees was the complete and utter implosion of Movistar team and its plans 
to chase the GC with Naira Quintana. Naira Quintana was dropped terribly on the descent to the Tourmalet. He had his team on the front setting a mean tempo, just shredding the group at the fi- at the base of the climb, and they shredded him. He was shredded right out of the pack as the uh, Movistar team was on the front, and then they dropped back to try and pace him up. It was just a show of complete uh, uncoordination. He said afterwards that... Um, they didn't, or, you know, Valverde said afterwards they didn't know Quintana was hurting when they were setting the pace. It was just, I don't know, it was kind of embarrassing. Uh, and then the uh, next day, say on stage uh, 15, we saw Mikalanda Landa go on the attack. Just a great attack in the drops on on the uh, Mur de Pagueras. Sprint away from the field. Um, try to take back some of the time that he lost on stage 10. I believe he, he's back in the top 10 overall. So it looks like now... Movistar is chasing the GC with Landa, and Valverde is up there as well. But Quintana is is gone. What do you make of Movistar's just flailing in the Pyrenees? Yeah, it's always kind of the same story with Movistar. They just always kind of get in the back foot. They just can't seem to get uh, to get into the mountains really with all cylinders firing. Uh, you know, Nairo had a relatively clean first half of the tour. Um, but they lost time in the team time trial, and then Nairo got shelled in the individual time trial. But still, he kind of came into that stage Saturday, you know, at least hoping uh, to be in the mix. He was in the top 10, safely in the top 10, and just got shelled out the back. And, uh, you know, I think there's, you know, inside that team, there's a lot of unhappy people. Uh, word in the street is, you know, Nairo's gone. He's leaving to, uh, which is a rather odd move, leaving to this Arkea Samsic team, uh, second division French team with ambitions of going pro tour. And uh, he's bringing a couple of riders with him and leaving behind Movistar, which has been his home since he's turned pro in 12, 2012. You know, Nairo, he's won a Giro. He's won a Welta three times on the tour podium, arguably the best Colombian Grand Tour rider ever. But he's certainly been a shadow of himself the last couple of years. And this year, you know, he has no excuses really, does he? I mean, he hasn't crashed. Well, he had one crash on Wednesday, which I think he's kind of pointing to reasons why he's not moving great. But you got to wonder what's going on with Nairo in his head. You know, is, is he already at 29? Is he already burned out? Is, is Nairo, you know, we're seeing these new apps out there with the putting the age on the riders' faces. I mean, it's like, is Nairo a grandpa at 29? It's, some people suggest that he's just got, went too hard too soon and got burned out. And then the story of Landa, you know, one of the most kind of inconsistent, you know, cursed but charmed riders in the Peloton. You know, everyone just loves to see Landa light up these big long bomb attacks. But he does it because no one's chasing him. You know, he's, he's six minutes off the back. So if he moves, people are going to give him room. No one's going to chase that Lando when he's six minutes back. Now he's kind of back. He gained back a little bit of time. I think now he's, uh, you know, even making noises about trying to go for the podium. But that guy is a guy who certainly is cursed. You know, he kind of gets a lot of uh, hype. And I think rightly so. He's an extremely talented rider. But he always seems to find himself uh, the wrong side of a crash time splits you know he's losing time when he shouldn't be and it really you know it cost him a chance to podium miss the podium this year at the giro just by a few seconds missed that podium in the tour a couple years ago by one second so landa you know i'm hoping that he'll just go for it he says he is if he has the legs i'd love to see landa just throw it caution to the wind and just attack and maybe draw out a guy like pino and they could turn the race upside down well those are some good storylines from the first uh, really tough mountain stages of the Tour de France. We saw the Pyrenees just just wreak havoc in the GC group. Boy, it was just so funny seeing, you know, the base to the Tourmalet and so many of these guys who there's been a lot of hype around, a lot of storylines. Dan Martin, 
uh, Adam Yates, Fabio Aru, Roman Bardet, and just all found out so amazingly fast. So that's what the Pyrenees do. Um, when we come back, we, uh, you and me, Andy Hood, are going to put on our director sportif hats and come up with some strategery for our favorite teams to take them into the Alps and the finale of this year's Tour de France. We're going to do that when we come right back. This week's episode of the Venues Podcast also brought to us by our good friends at Abus. Abus is the German company that many of you know for making some of the best bike locks out there. Great bike lock manufacturer. But Abus also makes helmets, and in 2019, Abus Road and Mountain Bike Helmets are now available in the United States. The lineup includes the much-anticipated Aero Road helmet, the Abus Game Changer, and you can see these Abus helmets being worn by our good friends on the Movistar team. If you watch the Tour de France and you watch Movistar and the time trials in the high mountains and on the flats, they're wearing Abus helmets. So check out Abus, abus.com, and learn all about their great line of new road and mountain bike helmets. Thanks to Abus for sponsoring this week's episode of the podcast. Okay, Andy Hood, you and I are both uh, journalists. We interview people, we watch races, we talk to cyclists at the finish line. We are not sport directors. But for this exercise, we are going to put on our sport director hat. We are going to imagine that we're in the car, we're in the team meeting, we're yelling onto the radio, we're coming up with team strategies, and we are going to try and win the Tour de France. We're going to be the sport directors for both uh, Groupama, FDJ, that is the team, of course, of Thibaut Pino, and of Team Ineos. We're going to be uh, your man, Nicolas Portal. Uh, let's start off with Ineos. Um, right now, we have Garen Thomas sitting in second place, a minute and 35 seconds behind Julian Alaphilippe. There's three tough stages in the Alps remaining. What's your strategy? If you're looking at, you know, you're creating a game plan for this last week of the Tour to win. What's, give me, give me the, the broad and fine brushstrokes of your game plan. If I'm Nico Portal, I'm telling my boys that not to panic. We're actually in a very good spot right now. I think uh, Garrett Thomas in second place can almost be argued as the virtual yellow jersey. Uh, I would say we have to race as if we are the virtual yellow jersey. But we have this problem of Julian Alaphilippe. And that's a problem for everybody. And if I was Nicola Portal, I'd be looking at uh, trying to find some friends on the road on the big stage Thursday, the Galibier, the Eswar Galibier double whammy is going to be a decisive stage in the outcome of this uh, Tour de France. So I would be looking to move uh, riders, get some riders up the road, get some riders in a break over the Eswar, try to isolate Philippe, and then gap him on the Galibier and get rid of Philippe on Thursday's stage. And then going into Tigné and Val Terence, I think you have to kind of be pretty careful to race. You know, you need to save your save your matches, I think, for the end of the, both of those stages. They're, they're kind of sticky there at the end. So I would, I would just try to reinforce uh, the team around uh, Garrett Thomas. If he's feeling good, say, okay, Bernal, you get your chance. You're on, under contract for five years. We're all in for Garrett. And just really set up that uh, Enios train to control things and let Garrett attack in the last 5Ks and the last two stages. And then you win the Tour de France. 
I uh, I am with you. I my game plan is somewhat similar with a few tweaks here and there. I think that yes, you know, the objective number one is to destroy Julian Alaphilippe, just make him suffer and drop him. Uh, if you can on stage 18, if not on stage 19. But then I think the game plan number two is to try and minimize Thibaut Pino because you know there's going to be attacks coming. So I would assume that Thibaut Pino is looking at the summit finish on stage 20 as the time when he is going to attack because that is the type of terrain that serves him best. He's this, you know, great accelerations. And and I think it's it's safe to say right now that his accelerations and his um, climbing style is is more than Garrett Thomas can do. Uh, we saw Garrett Thomas; he couldn't go with the accelerations on stage fourteen or stage fifteen. So Ineos, yeah, like you said, they they either send some riders up the road or just try and replicate the Sky Train on the uh, Isuard and then the Galibier and really try to get rid of Alaphilippe, but don't you know? You don't have to attack. You don't have to have Garrett Thomas attack on those days. Um, I think that then hoping you hope that stage 19 is a bit of a draw and that the finish is a little too gradual and lacks the punch for someone like uh, Pino to get away. And then I think you really have to just try and set an extremely hard tempo on stage 20 and hope that if Pino is able to attack, it's just not, it, you know, it's so close to the finish line in Valtheron that, you know, he's only able to get, I don't know, five or 10 seconds. I think that to me, that is the the biggest challenge is Valtheron and Pino and not necessarily Alaphilippe. Um, and you know what? I, I know this maybe sound a little disrespectful, but if I'm Ineos, I'm not that worried about Kreuzwick because I feel like Kreuzwick is as close to Garrett Thomas's strength and ability and riding style in this year's Tour de France that they can kind of cancel each other out. Am I going to win the tour? <laughs> we shall see. And if you're uh, Mark Matteo and F. Deju, Groupama, Fred Dry, you got to put your Matteo hat on and start screaming and yelling like you're on some sort of emotional enhancing drugs. <laughs> what would you do with Pinot? Oh, did you see that great uh, YouTube clip? Or it was like an Instagram clip from uh, the Tourmalet finish of Matteo watching the finish. And the camera's on Matteo, and, you know, he's watching the final, whatever, 500 meters. You can tell he's just got ants in his pants because he wants Thibaut Pino to attack and win so bad. And he's just he's just screaming, after, at the, after, screaming at the TV. After I saw that clip, I'm like, hmm, now I know why the French haven't won the tour in 30 years. <laughs> oh, come on, hoodie. Matteo was happy. You have to have a uh, very happy moment for Matteo. I just love that he started sprinting down and was, like, you know, trying to find Pino to give him a big bear hug. So... I guess if I'm Mark Maggio, I am looking at stage 20. I mean, it, it, it it's tough to try and leave it so late. But you could say, okay, you know, all right, Thibaut, like really light it up um, on stage 18 and try and get a, you know, try and attack over the Galibier. But the Galibier descent is pretty long. Um, it's steep, so... I, I would assume if you have, you know, 30 seconds or 35 seconds over the Galibier, you're going to hold that. Um, but I don't know. I think I'm still looking at stage 20 and looking at this final summit. Finish. Basically try to, you know, stay with all the favorites until stage 20 to Valtheron and then 
you know, hey, David Gaudu, go really hard on this final climb and then try to attack and shed Garrett Thomas and get rid of hopefully, hopefully Alaphilippe has already been squashed at that point and then just try to find 15 seconds, 16 seconds. Uh, I think the tough part with Valtheron is that it doesn't appear to be that steep of a climb, but maybe he has enough punch uh, in his legs that he can get rid of Garrett Thomas on terrain like that. Yeah, if I'm if I'm Pino and inside the Groupama FDJU, I, I, I say I say it's a risk to leave it to that last climb, the last, the last stage, because um, you got to get rid of Alaphilippe. I think that Thursday's the day to do that. I think um, FDJU would be benefit more than anyone to get rid of Alaphilippe. Just make that hard. Pino, not the best descender, even though he has improved dramatically since uh, he had some wobbles back in the day. I think him getting down off the Calibier should not present too many problems for him, even though it is a long, I think, plus 25K descent. So a strong descender, there'll be some gaps developing on that descent. But I think if you're, if you're, if you're a Groupama, make it hard over the Zouard. Just get your boy, Godet, you know, that last top half of the Galibier, you know, they're coming over the relatively easy side from, uh, uh, you know, coming on from the southern approach in the Galibier, it's not as hard and as long because you come to Col de la Tourette, so you're already quite high coming up with that valley. It's a grinder, so you just go full gas that last 5K over the Galibier. You drop down because it's kind of a false flat there for quite a while before it drops down in the valley. So you need you need some help in that scenario, so you got to go with some people, maybe find a Mikael Landa, somebody who's jumpy that day. You get in a group of four or five guys, try to gap out of Philippe and maybe uh, a few of the stragglers in the GC. You move up to the podium on the Thursday. The team, no one will be expecting much that day, so you just light it up. You just light up to stay at the line of fun to climb to Ting. Surprise attack. You just go, out, you just go as hard as you can. Because you got you got nothing to lose, and then on Val Torrance, it's it's a drag race up that valley. I've been up there skiing before. It's not the longest. It's not the hardest climb that the tour is facing this year, but it's long. And that last five to seven k's is all above two thousand meters or very close to it. So that'll be a factor. The big minus for Pino, I think, is going to be the heat. They're calling for a lot of heat. Uh, heat wave kind of swooping back into France. He's not a fan of uh, of the heat, so keeping. Thibaut Pino, well hydrated and well fed, is going to be critical in these last three days. And what about Kreuzweg? Do you think he can do it? Yeah, I mean Kreuzweg, uh, you know, he he's never been on a podium, but he's been he's obviously has showed the legs to be able to be right there. I mean, it's right now it's a tie basically between all those top guys, right? Um, so if he can just uh, stay upright, the team is obviously very strong. Again, I think I got to get rid of Alaphilippe. And you got to get rid of uh, those guys in front of you. But it's pretty tight there, tightly wound. But I think for Kreiswick, it will come down to that last stage. He just got to—he's got to keep following the wheels, man. Kreiswick can just keep following wheels, let the race of attrition go his way, and then if he's there in the end, then you know, then this is going to be a drag race to the line of the Val Torrance and could be decided there. Uh, well, if you are a wealthy team owner, owner of a World Tour team, and you do need a uh, director sportif for the coming year's assault on the Tour de France, I, I just give give myself a call, give Andy Hood a call. I mean, we. Uh, everyone has a price. I mean, we you know we will we will negotiate out a favorable uh, contract for 2020. But um, yeah, there you go. It's it's a pretty simple plan, I think. I think Andy. 
<laughs> we couldn't race our way out of a wet paper bag, Fred. <laughs> we shall see. We shall see. Yeah, my uh, my advice is uh, stay calm and then attack like crazy. <laughs> exactly. That's basically what it's going to come down to. If you got the legs, you got to go. Well, Andy Hood, the next time you and I check in with each other, there will be a resolution to the big question of the Tour de France, which is who is going to win the Tour de France. So I will let you go back to your afternoon at the Man Cave in Spain. And when we uh, catch up, we're going to be talking all about this final exciting week in the Alps. So, Andy Hood, I bid you adieu. Have a wonderful week. Enjoy the tour. <laughs>